you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. It's been three days. I still can't believe it. I haven't left my house since, since Friday. I was there. So many of us were there. There in the crowd, we tried to pretend that we didn't know each other, know him. I couldn't stay away, but I wasn't brave enough to stand with his mother. How can I explain it to you? It was like nothing I had ever seen before, like nothing I had ever heard before, like nothing I had ever smelled before. You could taste the blood and the air, the stench, the smell of death, rotting pieces of people, unwashed bodies, fettied breath, the crowd roaring and hooting. It was nothing new for them, but it was too much a horror to ever be routine, even knowing They'll be at, back at it again soon with some of us who followed him. Some of us sisters found our voice and blessed him and his mama, and he blessed those of us who would never birth a child to die on their crosses. His poor mother. She did what she could for him before Shabbat. I know she was there again first thing this morning to bury her child properly. My heart aches for her and for us all. It's been three days now. The sun is up. I hear people going about their business, but I can't just yet. When I woke, there was a moment when I didn't remember, and then it all came crashing in. I can't imagine a world without him in it. I can't imagine going to the market, breaking bread, like it's any other first day. Maybe tomorrow I'll venture out. That was an imaginative description of words by Wilda C. Gaffney of what Mary Magdalene perhaps thought the day before she went to the tomb. On Friday, we joined Grace Lutheran for their Good Friday service, and at the end of the service, Pastor Sarah invited us into a time of silent prayer with a candle lighting. We stared at the cross in front and above us with a black cloth wrapped around it and a crown of thorns placed on top. I personally have never been to a Lutheran service, so the way that they invited us to reflect on the death of Jesus with hymns, scripture, readings, reflection, candles, and silence, some of you were there. It reminded me, quite honestly, of George Floyd's vigil. That same feeling you carried hoping that your people could just be without oppression, without racism, without constraint, without assimilation, without code switching, without pretending like everything's good when we know very well that it's not. And then one of your very own dies such a brutal death. I imagine that maybe that's what Mary Magdalene felt. To hear that Jesus would be the one to overturn the Roman Empire and then to see him murdered doesn't make sense. Not only was he murdered, but he was murdered brutally. Not only was he murdered brutally, but he was murdered inhumanely. The powers that be were making an example out of Jesus as they always have done. But on Friday, as I stared at the candles from the back pew, I imaginatively put myself in Minneapolis, Minnesota at a prayer vigil for George Floyd. 
and imagined what it must have been like to witness a massacre. Maybe Mary's curiosity of words of the words of Jesus that she replayed in her memory is what perhaps led her to the tomb. Maybe it was her memories that led her to see, just maybe, see the tomb again. Our passage tonight is John 20, 1 through 18. I'll do 1 through 10, and then Chris is going to come up and finish. It begins in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, John. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. We see Mary here overwhelmed with emotion. No one can tell her that Jesus didn't die. She saw it with her own eyes. She saw the large boulder of a stone rolled in front of a grave that no man could single-handedly roll away. So when the stone was rolled away, the only explanation she had was they probably, one of the Romans in power, has taken back the body of Jesus. We pick it up in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Okay, I just got to say, John is a trip, man. Like, he just was like, yeah, we were racing towards the tomb. Peter was going, but I got there first. Just want to put it into scripture. I'm reading that. I'm like, dang, John is a trip. And then he says, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Imagine this. Imagine the types of conversations they were having. Remember, the Roman Empire was a centralized focus of the time. Empire, the powers that be that tax and overtax you, they marginalize you. They have the power to take your money away, the power to unjustly incarcerate you, the power to kill, the bid for power over, power to dominate, power to control is what empire is and has always been after. With that being said, can you put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples? Their friend hero, Lord, Savior, was unjustly murdered. He was the one that said he was going to save them from the Roman Empire. But what they saw with their eyes was not him overturning the Roman Empire, but they saw the Roman Empire overturn him. But imagine the conversations after that they had just seen the tomb rolled away. Imagine that. Imagine them thinking if Jesus has risen from the dead, then Jesus really is greater than the empire. Then Jesus really can save us from the oppressor. Then justice really does roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. If he has risen from the dead, then he truly is the greatest of them all because even empire's power to kill could not constrain him. Even injustice cannot defeat him. And if that is true, 
then the world is about to change. Because that means that the ways of Jesus truly are more powerful than the ways of empire. This is a modified version of poems compiled by Brian Zott. I'd like to read it to you. So when Christ came, he did not bring another empire of men built upon a lie. As the liar in the desert tempted, instead he brought the empire of God, which is good news. The government of justice and mercy, grace and truth. And the truth is, every empire of men is built upon a lie. Though every empire says we have God on our side, you will have to decide how patriotic a Republican or Democrat, Democratic believer can be. May we be salt and light, a prophetic voice, a Christian conscience. May we preserve and illuminate, cry aloud and convict, but never forget every empire of men is built upon a lie. And to stand for truth and to stand for God is to stand against the lie the empire has built upon. And in the midst of imperial self-justification pray, Lord God, thy empire come. The empire of men will oppose the empire of God. To know this is a dangerous thing. To say it can be deadly. Do you think I am kidding? What crucified Jesus? Self-righteous religion? No, not religion alone. Religion as the whore of empire. This is what killed Jesus and Paul and Peter and MLK and Breonna Taylor and abolitionist John Brown because this is what empires do. Silence the prophets who will not prostitute the truth. Religion is tolerated. Imperial religion is promoted. But the prophetic hope of another way must be censored even by the sword. This is the way of empire because every empire of men is built upon a lie. And if you ask me my politics, I will say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is more political than it is religious. I glimpsed this truth out of the corner of my eye, an ending prayer. We veil our faces before your glory, O holy and immortal one, and bow before the cross of your wounded Christ. With angels and archangels, we praise you, our mercy, and we bless you, our compassion. For in our brokenness, you have not abandoned us. Hear us as we pray through Jesus, our high priest. Heal all division. Reconcile the estranged, console the suffering, and raise up to new life all that is bound by death. Amen. We'll pick up the story in John 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus but she didn't recognize him. 
Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbanai is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. First, I want to invite us to have this in view as we bear witness to Mary Magdalene, witnessing the resurrected Jesus. All four Gospels agree on one vital detail about Easter morning. In the early morning hours when it was still dark, women went to the tomb of Jesus. There's something about the way these women show up. And there's something about the way that Mary Magdalene shows up. Because here we find her again at the tomb where the murdered body of Jesus had been buried. She had just seen it empty. She took off running, found Peter and John, who raced back and looked in, and now she's here again. Why is she back here? What is she doing? Well, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. I think that's interesting. It seems she hadn't looked in before. She had only noticed that the stone had been rolled away. And now here she is still crying. Why is she still crying? Why is she here? Mary had originally made the trek to the tomb to initiate the burial process of Jesus' body and continue her grieving. But the stone had been rolled away, and so her whole plan was thwarted. So instead, she ran back again to Peter and John, and now she's back here this time by herself. But here's what we can't miss on this Resurrection Sunday. Mary showed up at the tomb a second time again as her trauma-experiencing human self. Just days earlier, she had watched her teacher, one of her greatest friends, her healer, executed by the powers that be. The blood she witnessed at that cross was real. The ripped flesh was real. The humiliation was real. The nails were real. The crown was real. The cross was real. This is the way that Mary arrives at the tomb. Why is Mary standing outside the tomb weeping? Why did she return? Perhaps with this view in mind, we have a better sense of the complexity of Mary's experience at the tomb. Maybe you're able to join the complexity of Mary's encounter with her as you stand outside the tomb. John's gospel continues like this. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. 
Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. As we'll continue to find out, everyone wants to know why Mary is still crying. They're very concerned about this. But up to this point, all anyone knows is that the tomb is empty. Remember that. Remember what that might have felt like. The experience of knowing this is that. Empty tomb. Until they encounter the risen Jesus, there is no category for which any of these followers of Jesus could understand the empty tomb. The world could not make sense of an empty tomb with any other theory than grave robbing. And this is what Mary replies as to why she's there and crying. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And again, you can sense whatever that is in Mary to find what she has lost, to find what she most needs in this moment. She thinks it's the dead body of Jesus that she needs more than anything else. Can you hear in the way she says this to these angels? Can you hear the pain, the trauma, the confusion, the grief in her voice? Why are you here crying, Mary? Because they took away my Lord. And I don't know where he is. Mary's words to the angels are spoken out of her personal grief, not simply her confusion. Is this not too what we often come to Jesus crying out, uttering in our own pain, our own trauma, our own confusion, our own grief? Where are you, Lord? We're like coming on the end of a two-year Lent, right? Where are you, Lord? When is this gonna end? When is it gonna be what you said it was gonna be? You see, Mary's not missing something that was supposed to be obvious. She has no other idea how to envision this encounter. So then, this happens next, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him, which is like an entire sermon just by itself. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. And I just want you to hear that one more time because I think we are prone at times to read that with a little more anger almost or frustration. Dear woman, why are you crying? No, that's not how Jesus came and met her in this moment. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. I just love that. That's a whole sermon too. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. She is so after the dead body of Jesus, the very body again that she had just seen hanging from a cross, the very body she had seen taken down from that cross and put in this tomb. Where is he? First, this greeting from Jesus, dear woman, is the same word that Jesus used to address his mother in John 2, the whole wedding at Cana bit. It's the same language or the same word he uses to address his mother in John 19, 26, when he gives his mom to John, 
to be cared for. Dear woman, the same word that Jesus uttered from the cross as he looked down at his mother is the same word that Jesus utters. The first word after he's been resurrected to Mary Magdalene as she's searching for him. That's what dear woman sounds like. Tender attention. That greeting and those questions are the first words spoken by the risen Jesus in John's gospel. Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? The very first things that the resurrected Jesus says. Like listen to the way in which Jesus wants to communicate with us. He wants to speak with this same tender attention to each one of us. Whatever it is you carry in you, he says in the same way, dear son, dear daughter, dear friend, dear person, why are you crying? Why are you carrying that within you? Why are you feeling what you're feeling? I want you to know I'm here, but first I want to know, what are you looking for? Is Jesus the one we're looking for? He longs to hear. He does. And he comes to us with tender attention. Because sometimes, as Mary found out, she turned around and Jesus was right there and she didn't recognize it. That can be our lives as well. And I think there's this rescuing word in all of this is there's no shame in that. There is no shame that you didn't notice that Jesus was with you all along. Just know that he was. And he was sitting there saying, dear friend, why are you crying? What are you looking for? See how Jesus doesn't chastise Mary for her tears. And he doesn't assume to know why she's crying even. He's just fully present to her in all of the complexities of her humanity and the, the craziest of locations, a tomb and a garden. Like talk about the juxtaposition of what was dead and what is alive. Goes on. I'm always riveted by verse 16. Mary! Exclamation point. Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out. Rabbi, teacher, the one I've been looking for. What was it about this encounter that captured her attention, that drew her in to the intimate place with Jesus at that moment? It is that he knew her name. And it's not just that he knew her name, he knew how to say it. He knew how she needed to hear it. Mary. When Mary hears the voice of the risen Jesus speak her name, she sees the gardener and the garden differently. She no longer understands the empty tomb that she came to as a manifestation of death, but as a testimony of the power and possibilities of life. The whole place is transformed, not just Mary. Jesus sees her trauma but invites her to live afresh. And he calls her by name, says, we're going to do this together. Gail O'Day offers this from the Women's Bible Commentary. She says, the word the gardener speaks changes Mary's world forever. 
which is crazy, actually, because Jesus had already changed Mary's world forever. And here it is again. The risen Jesus calls Mary by name, and when she hears her name spoken in his voice, she turns around again, but this time she sees Jesus. And through the intimacy of Mary's name, the reality of the resurrection is revealed. What a moment. Now something has shifted in Mary's confusion and grief. The trauma's not forgotten, but healing has been initiated. A new beginning is emerging. She will carry with her always the moment in which she saw Jesus murdered on a cross. But a new beginning that she could never imagine beyond this murder or beyond grave robbing begins to unfold. Mary reacts differently to this experience, and it reminds me of these words from Howard Thurman's book, Meditations of the Heart. He writes this, I surrender myself to God without any conditions or reservations. I shall not bargain with God. I shall not make my surrender piecemeal, but I shall lay bare the very center of me, that all of my very being shall be charged with the creative energy of God, Little by little, or vast area by vast area, my life must be transmuted in the life of God. As this happens, I come into the meaning of true freedom, and the burdens that I seemed unable to bear are floated in the current of the life and love of God. The central element in communion with God is the act of self-surrender. And after she surrenders to the newly revealed love of Jesus, that's all that's being transmuted by Jesus there, to use that word, is his loving compassion for her. She's changed. And so Jesus says this to her. Don't cling to me. You can imagine this encounter, right? The moment that he says her name, she's got her arms wrapped around him in an embrace. Like, I am never letting you go again, Jesus. And he says, don't, don't cling to me. For I haven't yet ascended to the Father, right? Jesus isn't done yet, so to speak, right? He says, go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave the message. This garden encounter finishes with Jesus's first post-resurrection teaching as he sends Mary Magdalene to be a disciple to the disciples. They were still somewhere in a locked room, as we read actually a few verses before all of this, waiting for who knows what. And Mary Magdalene shows up, which is crazy because she's got to tell the message message, right? Peter and John ran there, peeked inside, and were like, yeah, wow, crazy, and ran back and locked themselves in the room. And Mary Magdalene returns by herself. And brings this message because she has not stopped bearing witness. From the execution at the cross to the resurrection of Jesus, she continues to bear witness. And you see Mary's confusion and sadness at the empty tomb have been transformed by her encounter with Jesus. The same Jesus she mustn't cling to because he's got to ascend to her God and his God so that he might send us the gift of his spirit so that we might actually be able to follow this Jesus as resurrected people and dwell with the spirit of God who does these very things. Therefore, Mary Magdalene embodies the message of Jesus proclaimed to all who follow him. Go and live. 
It's finished. And now we begin again as people of the resurrected Jesus. And I think something meaningful about Resurrection Sunday is that we can envision afresh again Jesus showing up to each one of us, saying our name, and inviting us to go and live, to live again. Not just as individuals, but as a community of Jesus' followers embodying the resurrected Savior. This is the Jesus who acknowledges, like he did with Mary, that we are seen by him, that we belong to him, and that he knows us by name. We want to give Jesus the last word in all of this as the band comes up. Would you just do a, a practice with me? Would you, would you close your eyes or get in a prayer posture, whatever that looks like for you, and would you, would you imagine yourself in the garden with Jesus? Would you imagine yourself in the garden with this Jesus who knows your name? And as he looks at you, would you look at him and would you ask him in the quiet of your own heart for the next few moments, what do you want to say to me on this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus? What would you want to say to me? Let's listen together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear whatever it is you are saying to us. Give us hearts to receive it. Give us feet to put it into action if it requires that. Give us hands to move if it requires that. Give us rest if it requires that. Give us healing if it requires that. Give us voice if it requires that. Jesus, you are so good. You defeated death and the grave and you were raised to new life. And you come bearing the same message you bore all along that we are loved by you. So may we hear your name on this Easter Sunday. And when we hear your name proclaimed, may we be reminded that you know ours. God, I, I know that maybe not all of us expected to still be here at this moment in time, but I pray that it wouldn't be time wasted, God. That you would have your way with us as we sing one more song, as we extend our praise to you the resurrected King. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.